Welcome to episode 45 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the work of writer director J.J. Abrams. I'm your host, as usual. My name is Marcelo Nostroza, joined as always by my fellow co-host, Matt Crandall. And on today's edition of the show, we'll be discussing Lost, Season 3, Episode 1, entitled A Tale of Two Cities. So with that being said and out of the way, Matt, what did you think of the Season 3 premiere of Lost? I love when Lost season premieres start with a scene that at first does not seem like it should be related to our show at all. And as the scene unfolds, we find out that a place that we thought was off island is actually on island. And that is exactly how this premiere starts. One thing I want to make note, this is based on a story by Lindelof, but the script is actually Lindelof and JJ together. I think this is JJ's final episode that he did actually write. So any JJ fans, you might see some of his hallmarks in here. And as we start, a woman is getting ready for book club, as we find out. So she seems upset. She's trying to keep her composure. Um, She's, you know, doing stuff around the house, accidentally burns some muffins getting ready, sees a guy working on her plumbing outside. And as they start to discuss Carrie by Stephen King, the book that this woman Juliet chose for the book club, they say, this is something that Ben wouldn't even read in the bathroom. And they keep talking about this guy, Ben, who would look down on this pop culture choice for this book. And as they're having this book club and insinuating that this guy, Ben, who is not at the book club, is some kind of dickhead. We find out there's a lot of earthquake stuff starts happening. The house is shaking and they run outside and it looks like a normal community and everything is fine. And then we see the guy who was working under the house stand up and it is our evil Canadian Ethan. And as pandemonium starts to happen, we see someone come out of a house and he walks towards us and it is Henry Gale, fake Henry Gale. And immediately we're like, what? And he looks up and we see 815. So this is that moment where, holy crap, (laughs) this suburban, you know, suburb setting is on the island. And these are the MF and others. And Henry says, Goodwin, go over there pretend to be one of them, act like you're a survivor. And it's like, oh, crap. And then he has a small run-in with Juliet where he says, so I guess I'm out of the book club. And we realize this is the guy they were talking about, Ben, the, the leader. So fake Henry Gale is actually a guy named Ben. The others live in a very nice setting. Somewhere hidden on the island is this cluster of houses where they just live a normal everyday life. And then the plane drops out of the sky and shit goes haywire. And this whole opening was so mind blowing because we got so much information. We met Elizabeth Mitchell as Juliet, who would become a great character as the series goes on. But just that pulling the rug out from under us 
where, you know, we think we're just visiting some housewife in a flashback as she listens to downtown. And it turns out downtown is smack dab in the middle of the jungle. This episode was fantastic. And for me, I will tell you why it was fantastic. Just for simply one reason. Hello, Blondie. I'm like, oh, finally she's here. Good. We can talk about her now. We can talk about her now. We're going to talk about her. I love the way that thematically this episode kicked off in a very similar way to how Lost Season 2 kicked off. Instead of Desmond in the hatch, it was Juliet in a house. And the first time that I saw this episode back in the day with my grandmother, I was just blown away. I was like, what in the hell is going on? But once, you know, Juliet goes outside and we see Ethan and then we see the others and once... You know, the devil finally reveals himself for a second time again. And we finally hear the name Ben. I'm like, oh, my God. And, you know, when they looked up and I heard that sound back in the day, I was like, no fucking way. No way. And, you know, they they pan up and you see the plane. I lost my goddamn mind. The, the other thing that I particularly liked about this episode is that we uh, see the fallout of... Um, Jack's relationship with Sarah in a very, very interesting way. And I really enjoyed seeing Matthew Fox deal with that basically in prison in an underwater aquarium. I'm like, what the hell is this? How'd they get him there? What? Why is this aquarium here? This is awesome. So I really, really enjoyed this episode immensely. Yeah, they give us another Dharma station that happens to be underwater, which raises even more questions. And I thought that was so cool that, you know, this is probably where the Dharma shark came from. So that was awesome. And having only a couple members of our main cast even appear in this was really intriguing because we have so many questions about what happened with the hatch at the end of last season that we don't even touch on because we don't see anyone except Sawyer, Jack, and Kate, and, you know, Juliet and Ben. So for Juliet to be introduced in this way, and she is in charge of, we aren't quite sure if this is Jack's interrogation or if she legitimately is a caring person who's trying to walk him through, you know, this information that they need for some reason and getting him to realize the gravity of his situation. So I thought that was really cool and creepy. When they're he's chained up and it felt like a jigsaw moment from the Saw movies. But to have these flashbacks where we find out that after Sarah leaves Jack and things have been called quits, he goes into this weird, paranoid, jealous spiral where he starts to think that maybe Sarah left him for Christian and he starts to spiral so out of control, which is so uncharacteristic for the Jack that we know and that we have gotten to know even through these flashbacks where he can't control things. And we know that that frustrates him, but watching him just go further and further down the drain is painful because we like Jack so much 
And Matthew Fox is so charismatic and likable that to have these flashbacks and that heartbreaking moment at the AA meeting, John Terry and Matthew Fox both act their asses off in that moment, but it just guts you where even though Christian was, as far as we're led to believe, trying to bounce back and he was getting his life together. And this moment with Jack out of control, raging at the AA meeting is what flips that switch and starts Christian's ultimate end, his bender that leads to his death. So it is really, really frustrating to see Jack in those moments, to see how Jack acts in those moments. And it's all juxtaposed with him on the island and Juliet saying, like, I know everything about you. What do you want to know? And we all know the answer that Jack is still wrestling with is, was Christian the guy? Was Christian the guy who ended his marriage with Sarah? And it's because Jack can't admit that he is the guy that messed things up with Sarah. Because he was not focused on the right aspects of the marriage. And it was his trying to fix things. and constantly needing a challenge to be the hero that led to their disillusion of their marriage. And he's trying to just pin that blame anywhere else he can. And I thought that was heartbreaking. Added such a new layer to Jack, an ugly layer that really makes him a much more complex character. To be honest with you, when I saw the flashbacks between Jack and Christian in this episode, and specifically to go to the one that you mentioned in the AA meeting, I didn't remember that Christian was just trying to help Jack out through this difficult period. So when Jack sort of spiraled out of control, uh, earlier in the episode in the hospital and said he basically said it outright he called christian basically a son of a bitch for being with sarah when we make it to the end of the flashbacks and find out that it was all in jack's head that he was just overreacting and like you said spiraling out of control because he couldn't put his hatred for his father far enough in his brain to 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 deal with his relationship and to do right by Sarah, that was just heartbreaking. Once I realized that Christian wasn't lying and he was just trying to help his son. And to your point, Matthew, Fo Matthew Fox's acting in the flashbacks in this particular episode is basically golden. Just hearing you talk about it now, it hit me even harder talking about it now than watching it the first time around because like I said the first time around I didn't re I didn't remember that it wasn't Christian that it was just Jack and you know it was just him trying to deal with his personal issues and deal with his failures when we do find out where Sawyer Kate and Jack are they are in different places on the island and when Kate wakes up she wakes up in this locker room and basically, we have Mr. Friendly saying, hey, Kate, uh, you might just want to take a shower and, you know, get dressed and get comfortable. And she ends up taking a shower and 
for some reason, you know, the others get rid of her clothes and she goes to one of the lockers and she finds a dress. And she ends up going to this beautiful stretch of beach where Ben is sitting with a full course meal. And Ben basically wants to sit down and have a conversation with Kate. And I was like, if this isn't a Bond villain right now, I don't know what is. I found it, I found it so weird, so off-putting, and so disturbing that this guy would want to have a conversation with Kate and basically tell her that he did this to have, you know, he, he did this for her so she could have something nice to hold on to and something positive to look forward to. After they had their conversation, he says... I I wanted you to have something nice because the next two weeks are going to be something very, very difficult. What's going to be very difficult, Ben? What are you doing? Why are you not answering these questions? Again, this is something that for some viewers would drive us crazy. But since me and Matt are lovers of the JJ universe and the JJ playbook, all these questions just make us happy. So I just enjoyed the way that that was particularly stretched out uh, from a script level. Also, I really found it interesting that JJ came back for this particular episode and decided to write the teleplay with Damon Lind with, with Damon. I'm like, this is very odd. I mean, I was I was beyond happy to see him back, but I'm like, why would you just come back for this one more final time and you wouldn't contribute more? That was a question that I had in my head, Matt. Yeah, and I think, you know, he had finished Mission Impossible 3. Lost was such a huge hit that he decided to go hang out in the writer's room as they broke the story for this season and decided to help contribute writing the actual script for this premiere. I think just to get his creative stuff going before he jumped off into Star Trek. So that it was probably like a decompressing between Mission 3 and Trek where he went back into the Lost universe for a little bit to cleanse that palate and do something a little bit more in his comfort zone, which I really appreciated because there are a lot of JJ esque moments in this episode specifically, you know, I mentioned the, the Stephen King at the book club, but also the case that they put Sawyer in with this weird sequence of things that you can press and weird stuff that can happen. And Sawyer spends most of his days trying to figure out, what this machine will do. And eventually he finds the right combination of what you have to do that this Dharma fish biscuit comes out. And I love that. He's so proud of himself for figuring this out after hours and hours of, you know, different combinations and weird noises happening. And then, uh, I think it's Mr. Friendly Tom comes by and says, oh, you've, you got a fish biscuit. Yeah, it only took the bears about an hour to figure that thing out. <laughs> it's like, okay. Sorry, I was so proud, and he's not even as smart as the bears because it took him a lot longer to figure it out. So I thought that was great and very, you know, mystery box, weird, JJ-esque kind of, kind of thing. And having Sawyer and Kate in these cages was really weird and creepy. It adds like a an inhuman vibe to them because the fact that the others, even though that they're holding them hostage and prisoner, they have literally put all three of our main heroes in like animal cages as if they are some sort of 
creature there for their amusement rather than people, especially when we know they could probably put them up in a very nice little cabin and just keep an armed guard around to make sure they didn't go anywhere. But they have decided to treat them in this inhumane, dehumanizing way, and we still aren't quite sure why. I did love that scene that you mentioned, Ben and Kate on the beach, that does feel like a Bond villain speech where everything is nice and proper and it's Ben in a way that we haven't really seen him. But then at the very end, well, he says, well, I did all this because the next two weeks are going to be very unpleasant. And it's like, oh, oh, what a dink. <laughs> like, what what is the plan and why is it specifically two weeks? What What is at play here? So still so many more questions, but the flashbacks, the introduction of Juliet, adding those layers to the mystery of what the others are doing here, finding out that Henry is Ben, this mysterious leader, were all really great moments that send us on an interesting trajectory, and we still haven't caught up with our other main cast, so there's still a lot more intrigue at the very start of this season, so I'm really excited to revisit these episodes. There are little moments that happened along the way that I have forgotten, and I'm super pumped to dig into the the meat as this freight train keeps on rolling. Before we uh, wrap up this episode, I do just want to mention my favorite Ben moment of possibly the entire series, and you guys may think I'm nuts, but there was something about this particular speech in this particular moment when Jack tries to escape from his underwater aquarium cell, he basically uh, uh, kidnaps Juliet and takes her out into the hall of this underwater aquarium and he holds a piece of broken plate to her to her neck and he basically threatens Ben that if you don't let me out of here, I'm going to kill her. And Michael Emerson's line delivery to where he just says, okay, if you open that door, she'll be dead anyway. I'm like, what? This guy has no heart. He's cold-blooded. He's an asshole, but I love it. Um, and when Jack opens up the hatch and you see the water coming out, back in the day, I was like, where the hell is he? Like, it doesn't make any logical sense for an underwater aquarium to be on an island. You know, so I just love the fact that as we go on here, the show is getting more and more weird. It's it's getting weird, but it's getting fun. And I didn't uh, anticipate how much fun it would be to revisit uh, this specific episode. Matt, what's your grade for this uh, episode overall? And is there anything in particular without giving any like major hints that you're looking forward to as we uh, continue here in the weeks to come? I would say I would give this premiere a grade of A because it answers a few questions but raises so many more and just the powerful acting in those flashbacks and that awesome opening that was such a what-the-hell moment. It's lost at its best. Going forward, I am really excited about some of the ways that this season goes 
but one of my favorite episodes of Lost is the season three finale and just how that really revitalizes the show creatively in such a unique way that I'm excited for us to go from point A to point B over these 22 episodes because, man, that that episode 22 is just a stunning episode. All right, guys. So with all that being said and out of the way, uh, that'll do it uh, for this week's edition of Radio 815. If you guys like uh, what we do here at all and want to reach out and want to reach out to us, uh, there are two ways to do that. You can either hashtag us on Twitter or you can reach us directly on our own personal Twitter account. It is JJUniverse815. So with all that being said and out of the way, Matt, where can the good folks reach you if they want to talk to you about loss or anything else? Twitter is the best spot at Matt Crandall. If you guys want to reach me, also the best spot to do that is on Twitter. I'm at CreekFanatic88. But until next week, for my co-host, Matt Crandall, I am Marcelo Nestroza saying, as always, we'll talk back soon.